discussing the four elements of worship. Four elements of worship. Four, I know you're still getting settled in your seat. Four elements of worship. Now, in the natural world, there are four essential elements that allow human life to survive and thrive. You know them as earth, wind, or air, earth, wind, fire, and water. And as it is in the natural world, so it is in the spirit. In the natural world, you got to have earth, wind, fire, and water in order to create an atmosphere conducive for life. In the spirit world, it's the same thing. There are essential elements that you have to have in place in order for real worship, true worship, to take place. Scripture says in John 4, 24, that God is a spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. How does a human being enter the spiritual realm of worship? How does a human being approach a holy God and enter the spiritual place of worship? And what are the elements? Now, when I'm talking about worship, I'm not talking about you singing a song or bowing down or lifting your hands or coming to an altar. I'm talking about your relationship with God. I'm talking about your lifestyle, your approach, your connection with God. Certainly singing and praising and all of those things are a part of worship, but they're a small part. Sometimes worship isn't singing at all. Hmm. Sometimes worship is walking up a mountain of mystery like Abraham, not fully knowing or understanding what God is doing and how he's leading you or why he's taking you in this direction and yet continuing to walk anyway. When you're walking with God through seasons you don't understand, every step becomes an act of worship. I will say that again. When you're walking with God through seasons you don't understand, every step becomes an act of worship. Somebody worshiped today, you lifted your hands and you sang with the praise team and you had tears streaming down your face and it was beautiful. Somebody worshiped today and they didn't do none of those things. For somebody sitting in this room, your worship was getting up this morning and deciding to come to the house of the Lord because all hell's been breaking loose in your life. You're stressed out. You're full of anxiety. Somebody had to take an anxiety pill just to come here this morning and you may not realize it, but they worship just as much as you did who sang and lifted your hands because sometimes an act of worship is putting one foot in front of the other when you don't know how you're going to make it, when you don't know what God is doing, when he's asked you to do something difficult, when he's put a hard situation in your path. Sometimes worship is just walking. Anyone, anyone can bow on their knees, but not everyone can bow in their intellect. When God asked Abraham to do something unthinkable, he's asked him to do something he can't get his mind around. He's asked him to trust him in something that's the most painful, hideous thing he can possibly think of. And Abraham's intellect can't grasp it. He can't get himself around it mentally. Some of you, you, you know that there's something to the Christian faith, but there's so much about it that you can't grasp intellectually. And there's a point in everyone's walk with God where God doesn't just want your knee to bow. He wants your mind to bow. 
God, I don't understand this. It don't feel good. I don't like it. I don't get it. I, I need more information. I need more confirmation. I need more knowledge. And you don't get anything that you're asking for, but you have the trust and the faith in God, the faith in what you cannot see and do not understand to keep on going. And when your intellect bows, that's a level of worship most people never get to. Genesis 22.1 says, after these things, the Lord tested Abraham. When you truly walk with God, occasionally he will test you. I'm going to say it again. When you truly walk with God, occasionally he will test you. Now, when God tests you, it's not for human benefit or for human proof. When God tests you, it's to see whether or not you are ready to go to the next level in him. God is merciful enough to let you keep repeating the same class over and over again. You don't do so well in school, eventually the school will move you on anyway. They won't let you keep repeating the first grade, but so many times. But God's merciful enough to let you keep taking the same class over and over and over again. He'll give you a test to see if you're ready to move on. And if you fail it, he's good enough. He's God enough. He's kind enough. He's merciful enough to let you go back to class. You can spend your 20s in the same class, your 30s in the same class, your 40s in the same class. Some of you have been sitting in the same class your whole saved life, but it's the goodness of God that keeps giving you the opportunity. Are you ready to move on from that? Are you ready to go to a higher level? Are you ready to advance? Are you ready to mature? Are you ready to put away childish things? Are you ready for it and if you're not he'll keep sending you back and and God tests you to see are are you ready to move on to the next level I just feel to say this to you we've talked a lot about God let's say something about you what if what you're going through right now that has you all stressed out depressed full of anxiety what if it's only What if the next level awaits you and what you're going through now and your response to it is the proving test, the proving ground of whether or not it's time for you to advance? In verses 2 through 5, it describes Abraham preparing and getting ready. He gets some elements together to go and worship God. The text will tell us about wood and about a knife, about fire and about a sacrifice and I know that he's teaching about worship and he's the most qualified man in the scripture to teach us about worship he's the father of us all in faith nobody in the scripture has ever known how to worship God the way Abraham did and he takes these four elements the the wood the knife the fire and the sacrifice you can see it on the screen the wood the knife, the fire, the sacrifice, the wood, the knife, the fire, the sacrifice. The more I studied it, I realized these are the elements. These are the primary elements, not just in Abraham's day, but today. These are the primary elements of worshiping God. Point number one, the wood. The wood. Everybody say you got to bring the wood. Look, somebody else say, you got to bring the wood. Wood speaks of past 
experience. Something that was once alive in the past, but has now been cut down, and currently it's only used for fuel for the fire. What is firewood? Well, it was once a tree, alive, but it was cut down. And so what once was no longer is in the same form, but yet it's still carried. It, it's dead wood, but it's still carried for the purpose of fuel. Dead wood represents your history, your story, your experiences, your past. Yes, it's over, but you carry it with you, and it can become the fuel for your worship. I worship God because my past experience has taught me that God is faithful. <laughs> I, uh, I, I worship God, and when I bring my wood, my, my wood is my past experience. It, it proves to me that God is merciful. We all got some wood in here this morning, and if, you, you may not have a whole bunch, but everybody has the wood of the proof of his mercy, because if it wasn't for the mercy of God on our past, oh, some of us got a big, nasty past. You show me yours, I'll show you mine. Some of us got a big, nasty past, and, and, and we carry that. We're, we're no longer in it. It's the past, but we carry those experiences with us into worship, and when we bring our past into worship, our past is the proof that he's a loving God, that he's a forgiving God, that he's a kind God. When we carry our past with us into worship, it becomes the fuel, because it's hard not to lift up your hands and say, Lord, you're worthy. When you remember how much mess you were in, and how much sin you were in, and how broken you were, and how filthy you were, and how dirty you were, and despite of what you deserve. You deserve to reap the consequences of negative decisions. But so many times when you deserve judgment, mercy stepped in and said no. And every time mercy said no, you got another log of firewood. Every time mercy said no, you got another proof that God's a forgiving God, a loving God, a kind God, a merciful God. My, my past, my dead wood is the proof that God's a healer. Some of you got some of that wood in your bag this morning because there was a time in your life when the doctors couldn't do anything for you, but God stepped in and worked a miracle for you. And that miracle may be over, but you'll carry the wood with you for the rest of your life. Some of you can't even tell your story about how God healed you 20 years ago without tears streaming down your face. Why? Because you're throwing wood on the fire. You're throwing wood on the fire. Has he healed any? Anybody? Do you have any wood? Has he healed your children? Do you have any wood? Has he healed your body? Do you have any wood? If you got, if you got any wood, it's an essential element, an essential element to your worship. Never worship without getting out your wood. You can't build a strong fire if you ain't got no fuel. You can't sing and praise God if you don't have something down in your spirit where God has proved himself to you in the past. So you got to put the wood on. Oh, Jesus. 
Thank you for every time you proved yourself to me. Thank you for every time you forgave me. Thank you for every time you cleaned up my mess. Thank you for every time you were merciful to my unrighteousness. Thank you for every time I made it home. I didn't have no business making it home. Thank you for every time you kept the wrong people from destroying me. Thank you for every time you shielded me when I deserved the arrows. Thank you for the accidents that didn't happen. Thank you for the attacks that were thwarted. Thank you for saying over my life, no weapon formed against you will prosper and every tongue that rises against you, I will condemn. Thank you, Lord. I don't know if anybody's got any wood, but if you got some wood in your life, if you got some proof in your life, you ought to lift your hands right now and get personal with it. Can't nobody hear you? I'm preaching too loud. Say thank you for getting me home that night. Thank you for blocking the things the enemy tried to thank you Lord it's my wood it's my wood you gotta learn not be ashamed of your wood because your wood represents not only your victories in the past, but also your failures. Your failures are more of a proof that God's a good God. The fact that you've been so bad makes his mercy look so good. Bring your story. Bring your history. Bring your wood. Notice Abraham doesn't use anybody else's wood because you can't worship God with someone else's wood. Got to bring, push your neighbor real good. Say, bring your wood. And then, why y'all standing up? Y'all making me nervous. Number two, you're going to need. <laughs> oh, Jesus, settle down, boy. N number two, you're going to need a knife. Y'all ain't going to like this one. But you never worship God effectively unless you got a knife. A knife represents your edge, your instrument of sacrifice. Your knife is what you use to cut something off when God says it's time. Because if you really walk with God... Occasionally, he will ask you to cut something off, to remove some things, to be willing to put some knife, a knife to some stuff in your life in order to go to the next level. Every one of us have something in our lives this morning that we need to put the knife to. Pride. There's so much pride in this room, it stinks. Unforgiveness. Praying, asking God to forgive you when you know you hadn't forgiven the people that hurt you. Lust. How's your screen time doing? Greed. Ain't giving God what the scripture says belongs to him truly, not in years. Have the nerve to ask for a blessing. 
got some stuff that needs to be cut. The paradox is God will give you grace in your sin for a season. God will allow you. You won't hear this in church because the church is too judgmental and everybody lies. God will allow you to continue in sin under grace for a season. But when you really belong to him, at some point, he'll show up and say, hi. Do you have a knife? Because if you want to go any further with me, it's time to cut that off. <laughs> I get so tickled somebody was telling me about some of their addictions and some of the problems they have and they said pastor I've been praying every day that God would just take it away take the desire away take the lust away take it away God ain't gonna take it away God will never make your cuts for you Because your willingness to put the knife to stuff you love. That's the thing about sin. We do it because we love it. Feels good. Mighty convenient. And so at some point in your walk with God, God will say, Lovest thou me more than these? How serious are you? How committed are you? How bad do you want me? How bad do you want to go higher? And, and, and he'll say, here's the knife. Here's the knife. And every worshiper, if you're going to really worship, has to take out a knife sometime. If you've got to a point, this is prophetic for somebody. If you got to, to an edge in your life where you can't go further, you're not moving forward, and you feel like you're stuck. It's not time to fast and pray. It's time to get you a knife and cut off the hindrances. Cut off the things that are keeping you from going forward in God. It's time to cut off the ungodly relationships. You know those people ain't for you. They don't do nothing for your spirit. They just feed your flesh or feed your ego or, or help you waste your time. You, you, you need to cut off the addictions and the attachments, the things that have grabbed you and have a strong hold on you. And, and the sad thing, I wish he would do it for us and make it easier. But Abraham had his own knife and was willing to make some cuts. Number three, a fire, a fire. The text says that Abraham took the fire in his hand. It didn't say he took the components to build a fire. He took the fire in his hand. Hand. I have it on the bottom there. It was carried into worship, not built there. A place of worship is a terrible spot to try to build a fire. You got to have your fire pre-built and pre-lit before you get into a place of worship. So 
So what they would do is they would hollow out, they would hollow out a ram's horn and they would build a fire, get it roaring hot and put the coals down in that ram's horn and carry it with them in their hand so that when it came time to be in the presence of God before an altar to make a sacrifice, all you needed was a little bit of a little bit of wind and the fire was already there. And the challenge in our churches today in the body of Christ is people aren't coming in with their own fire built. You're counting on the prayer team and the praise and worship team and the pastor and the altar worker and everybody else to build your own fire. And there's certain places we can't get corporately together because everybody has no fire. My fire is my fire. You can't get lit off of my fire. You can shout over my fire. You can feel the presence of God over my fire, but you got to build your own fire and take it with. It's an essential element to worship. So you build the fire during the week. You build the fire in your prayer time and your devotion. You build the fire in your own personal worship and you're searching out the things of God. You build your fire as you go so that when you get to an altar and a moment of worship, you don't have to stop, get down on the ground. You know, in Bible days in antiquity, it was laborious to make a fire. They have a lighter, you know. Takes time. As it was then, so it is now. It takes time to build a fire. It takes time to build a fire in your spirit. We live in a cold world. We have to get up every day and go to work or go to school in a cold world. We have to deal with real world, practical, cold problems. It takes some effort to build a fire. But if you have the faith and the determination and the consistency to build a fire every day, then when you get to those moments with God, all it takes is a little bit of wind. You can blow in this place, Lord, and the coals will ignite. You can blow on my life, Lord, and the coals will ignite. I've got my own. <laughs> Gotta have wood. Past experience. Good and bad. Gotta have wood. Gotta have a knife. Gotta have a pre-built fire. And number four, in order to really worship, you got to have a sacrifice. This is a curse word in the church today. Most people have never given anything to God that hurts. Are you listening to me? Most people have never given God something that the sacrifice of the gift made you cry. Not that you're crying in his presence because you feel his glory. No, you're crying because what you gave hurts so bad. If it, if it doesn't hurt, it's not a sacrifice. If it doesn't draw blood... And we offer things to God and get mad at the response from heaven because we think God's like people. 
We think God ought to be grateful by what we decide to give him. That's why we come to church when we want, if we want, how we want, with whatever attitude we want. And that's why when it comes to offering time, people tip God. Because they've lost the concept of what a real sacrifice is. Abraham's walking up this mountain with the greatest sacrifice in the Old Testament. And see, never mind that God didn't allow him to go through with it. He was ready to. The sacrifice was getting ready to. The sacrifice was the emotion and the, the mental torture and agony. He, he had to go through it in his mind before he did it. In his mind, he saw himself killing his son. And that sacrifice so moved God that when the angel of the Lord stopped his hand. See, some of you, you're asking, you're wondering, what's the benefit? You know, you get to the end of the text, you see how it all happened. You know, well, great. You know, Isaac lived and Abraham went on with God and the rest is history. But what's the benefit of that moment? What's the benefit of the agony and the cost that he had to spend emotionally and mentally to get to that place? And here's the answer. The Bible says when God saw the knife ready to come down, he stopped it. Thank God. He stopped it. Then he said, look over your shoulder. Now, Abraham saw more than a ram when he looked over his shoulder. Because God said, in blessing, I swear I'm going to bless you. Because you've not withheld this sacrifice from me, because you were willing to hurt for me, let me show what I'm going to do for you. I swear I'm going to bless you. I swear I'm going to multiply you. I swear I'm going to provide for you. I swear I'm going to elevate you. And when Abraham turned, not only did he see a ram, but he saw the very provision of God descend from heaven upon his life, letting him know he would never have a need, that God's will and provision would not supply. And what he saw, listen, what he saw so struck him, it so hit him, it so ministered to him that he stumbled back and he said, I've got to rename this place. He said, I'm going to name this place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And he said, he said, and the, his, his, his declaration over this moment in this space was so powerful because he said, I'm going to name it. And the scripture says, even to this day, even to this day, the name of the place is called in the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I want to talk to some people who've been making some sacrifices for God. I want to talk to some people who've been faithful and you haven't seen any response yet. I want to talk to some people who've been struggling to walk with God and walking away from certain relationships because God told you to, walking away from certain addictions because God told you to. I want to talk to people who have been giving financially to the kingdom of God, to the place of pain. Sometimes you've had to do without certain pleasures or certain necessities because you wanted to put God first because you really believe in the things of God. 
and you're limping and you're hurting on the inside and you're wondering, is there any response for this? Is there any recompense from heaven from what I've been laboring to do? And the Lord sent me here to tell you whoever you are and whatever you need, the word from the Lord from the text to you is it will be provided. I don't know what your particular it is, but I got a word from God for you. It will be provided. The finances you need, the strength you need, the love you need, the help in your marriage you need, the help with your children that you need, the problems that are so difficult you can't find a solution. God sent me to tell you it will be provided. God has not turned a blind eye or a dull heart towards the sacrifices that you have made for him. And in the mount of the Lord Christian world, it will be provided. Stand to your feet and give the Lord a, pl a praise all over the house.